Uh, let's get this started. Hello and welcome to our inaugural episode of One Cardinal, One Cub, and One Beer. And that's what we're going to talk about. St. Louis Cardinals, Chicago Cubs. Neither of us are really beer drinkers, but it just, just sounded right, so we put it in there. And uh, we're going to have discussions on a weekly basis, uh, both as a YouTube channel uh, show and as a podcast. And one thing that will differentiate us from a lot of people is we're not here to yell at each other and say the Cardinals suck, the Cubs suck, so on and so forth. We all know that the Cardinals are superior and the Cubs suck, okay? I will freely admit that, but uh, I at least can live in 2016. My name is uh, Vincent Opera, and I am coming to you from my man cave in Peavely, Missouri. And my co-host is J.J. Jackson. J.J., tell us about yourself. I'm JJ. I'm down here in Potosi, and welcome to the Forbidden Zone. I look like a hoarder here. I got a lot of my stuff in front of you, and I'll show you throughout the show. We're going to have a good time. I'm anxious. I love baseball. I have respect for the Cubs, but I love my Cardinals, and that's pretty much my story right there. And I don't know why you have respect for the Cubs, but <laughs> I will take it. By the way, if you can notice, um, if there's an earthquake, I'm pretty much safe because all my stuff is on the wall. JJ might get buried here. So, <laughs> so if, if there's an earthquake and suddenly JJ's gone, there will be an opening for a Cardinal fan. So <laughs> lesson learned in case there is an earthquake. Hey, uh, let's get started and let's recap last week. We're going to go from Monday to Sunday. So this will be the 12th of September through the 18th of September. JJ, tell us how the Cardinals did last week. Well, we had a homestand, and we were taking on the Brewers for two games, and we had the uh, Reds five games in four days. So the week starts off on the 12th, and we had a day off. We needed it. Our bats have been kind of uh, slow of late, and it was, a, it was a welcome day off. Tuesday, we had uh, the Brewers in town, and uh, we lost eight to four. Uh, Michaelis, um, I'm sorry, no, uh, Montgomery pitched, and he gave up, but in five innings, he gave up four runs. And we got behind early and we couldn't come back. We've, we've been coming back a lot lately, but we couldn't come back from the Brewers. Now, remember, the Brewers are playing for their lives because at this point, they're a game and a half behind either the Phillies or the Padres, depending on the day or the week, uh, for that last and final playoff spot. So now we go to Wednesday. And I got to attend that game. And that is known as the Wainwright Yachty 325 game. And I, we had our little rally towels and everything. But it was just great to be a part of history. Got my Budweiser here with one Yachty and one uh, Wainwright on it. Very cool, I think, anyway. And uh, great game. Packed house. Maximum capacity. Um, we won four to one. The crowd was really into it. Wayno was in trouble throughout the game, but uh, he was on the ropes, but he came through. He got the win. Uh he's 11 and nine at that point, And he got his 195th win. The Cardinals only have two other pitchers over 200 wins. And so he's right there on the verge of being the third. Um, Who are they? Uh, they are Bob Gibson and Jesse Haynes are the two guys above 200 wins. And Dizzy um, Dean was not above 200. No, Dizzy had about five great years, got hurt in the all-star game. And never was quite the same after that. For, for those five years, he was one of the best Cardinal pitchers ever. But, uh, of course, we had Steve Carlton, but he didn't pitch long enough. Uh, anyway, we got two over uh, 200 and Wainos on the brink of it. And I hope he comes back next year. In that game, too, uh, we had home runs from Arenado, his 29th. Uh, Lars Newbar hit number 12. And uh, 
Pujols got his 50th RBI of the season. Not bad for a 42-year-old guy. He just keeps on rolling. The bullpen came in for three innings and gave up no runs. Good game overall. I did not know this until the postgame show, but every inning, Wainwright was changing uniforms because the Hall of Fame wanted a uniform. The Cardinal Hall of Fame wanted a uniform. So every inning, he'd come in and have to change uniforms. So I'm sure that took him out of his game a little bit. Yeah. So now we now so we split with the pot the Brewers, which is a win because the Brewers were desperate to catch some ground on us and the last wild card. So now we enter Thursday and we're going to play the Reds and we're going to play Thursday, Friday, a double hitter on Saturday, and then Sunday is the final game of the series. Well, Thursday, uh, the fifteenth, we lose three to two, and we only got three hits, and that's kind of been the story of our of the season. The Cardinals are living and die with the home runs and a lot of strikeouts. Um, Let's see, Miles Michaelis got the loss. He did get quality start. He went six innings with three runs. And for all the younger fans out there, a quality start is six innings, at least six innings with three or less runs. So he got a quality start, but we just weren't hitting. But the bullpen, three innings, no runs. Another great outing by the bullpen. We moved to Friday, and that's the Jack Flaherty start. And Jack went five innings with four earned runs. He threw 91 pitches for and 56 strikes. His ERA is a notch over five, but it looks like every game he's getting a little bit better. His, uh, uh, his accuracy is a little off yet, but still like spring training for him, technically. Um, Helsley, uh, in that Friday game, uh, we, we won that game. The bullpen pitched four innings and only gave up one run, and Helsley got his 18th save. Pujols hit his uh, 690. He tied A-rodded with that game, six, uh, 696. In the, or that's where he hit. 696, I think. I can't read my writing there. Uh, since July 10th, Albert has been hitting 324. So that's been outstanding for us. Then the Saturday came, and we had the double hitter. And basically, uh, first game was Hudson. I was glad to have him back from Memphis. I'm pulling for the kid. Eight innings, no runs. Uh, and um, we end up getting the win, and Yachty hit his fifth home run. And then in the nightcap, uh, that was Quintana. He came in, pitched eight innings, and gave up uh, no no runs. Former, uh, Ed, former oh, Cub. Jose I remember Quintana. he was in his prime with the Cubs, too. Oh, no, no. He was in his prime with the White Sox. Oh, you bought him for his prime, but you didn't get it. We, we gave up uh, Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez, two studs. Two for studs. that guy who turned out to be a third or fourth starter so we were oh yeah that 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 was a killer for us i'll address killer. that probably oh. behind this winter <laughs> but edmund got six hits three hits in each game tommy edmund it's good to have him back he's been struggling a little bit and then sunday again no hit we just didn't, aren't hitting the red speed is three to nothing um let's see uh uh, the bullpen pitched great, but we did lose the game three to nothing. And we're just having some problems. And some of the points, some of the, we went four and three for the week. Outstanding. The bullpen, some of the highlights, 21 and two third innings with only five runs given up. And Montgomery and Quintana, since coming over, have pitched 18 games for us. And the Cardinals have won 15 of those 18 games. Now, they didn't get all 15 wins, but as a team, we won 15 of those 18 games. Big pickup for them. And finally, Tommy Edmond this week. Love the guy. 25 at-bats, eight hits. Uh, just a fantastic, 
And that's it. That's all I have for the week. So the Cardinals go four and three. Anything over 500, we'll take, and we're holding a strong lead in the division. Well, the Cubs, we're not fighting for anything. Um, <laughs> it's, it's another transitional year for us. But uh, on Monday the 12th, we went to New York to play the Mets. And Javier Assad, uh, one of our rookie pitchers, he pitched six strong innings, gave up one run. And uh, we won five to two. Uh, Brandon Hughes came in and he got his fifth save. And you're thinking, oh, five saves, what's that mean? Well, we're kind of doing a bullpen by committee. So uh, five saves for the Cubs this year with a bad team is pretty good. And uh, Ortega and uh, McKinstry, McKinstry we got from the Dodgers uh, for, I think, uh, maybe some, uh, I don't know, chewing gum or something. <laughs> but uh, McKinstry they, uh, and Ortega both went deep. I'm not high on Ortega. I don't know why we have this 30-something-year-old outfielder still on the roster, whatever. He's not a part of our future. He is now injured for the rest of the year, so I don't have to see him anymore. So there's one of my gripes that's been taken care of. But McKintry, McKinstry has uh, um, intrigued me. Um, he came in hitting about uh, 0.050, and I'm not kidding you with the Dodgers. I think he had one hit all year, and that was a home run. And he didn't start off hitting with us, and lately he's really picked it up. And I think uh, I think there's a roster spot for him next year to fight for. He's not going to be a starter, but he can play three infield positions, and he puts the bat on the ball, so I'm pretty happy about that. So on Tuesday, our second game against the Mets, we won again, 4-1 to one, against the mighty New York Mets. And Adrian Sampson, who has been around, it seems like, for the past seven, eight years, just bouncing from team to team, he's found a home in Chicago. He had six shutout innings, and we beat Jacob DeGrom. And uh, Ian Happ, uh, the great Ian Happ, our all-star, and uh, Bodie, uh, they both went deep that game. Now, Happ. May get traded next year. I don't know. He, he's he's not a an elite player, but he is a very good ball player. Plays a great left field and uh, puts the bat on the ball. Switch hitter. He's got some pop, and uh, he's really cut down on the strikeouts a lot. He's going to be uh, he's going to make someone a good addition if he doesn't stay with us next year. I like him. He's a good player. Yeah, uh, Bodie. Um, we've had him for four years now, and I've sat around thinking, why are we paying this guy three million a year? Uh, but we apparently have him for another year unless we DFA him or something for $3 million. I say, let's get rid of him. But we started the week against the Mets 2-0. So Wednesday, we have a chance to sweep the Mets. What do you think we do? We sweep the Mets, yes. <laughs> we won 6-3. We swept the first-place Mets. Uh, Drew Smiley pitched five strong innings, one run, and he picks up the win. Al Leiter Jr. recorded his second save of the season. And uh, Jan Gomes and P.J. Higgins each drove in two runs. So we started off the week with a sweep of the Mets in New York. Very good. We had Thursday off, Friday the 16th. We have the Rockies coming into Wrigley. And we're pretty pumped up because we've won three in a row here. And uh, we won two to one over the Rockies. Uh, Marcus Stroman pitched seven innings, gave up one run. Uh, Manuel Rodriguez picked up his second save. And McKinstry went deep again. Hap drove in the difference maker in the fifth. And so we started off the series with the Rockies on Friday with a win. But Saturday, things looked bad for us. We lost 3-1 to one to the dreaded Colorado Rockies. <laughs> but Hayden Wisniewski, 
Uh, we picked him up from the Yankees for uh, Scott Efros, who was one of our relievers uh, halfway through the season. The Yankees, desperate for bullpen help. That's why they picked up Efros, who was having a pretty good year for us. And that's why they gave us Wisniewski, who is a pretty good prospect. And uh, he proved that. He pitched seven innings, gave up one run. But Adbert Alzale, who has been injured the entire year, he made his season debut coming back from the injury in the eighth inning, three strikeouts. And we're thinking, all right, Adbert's great. He's back, you know. And uh, then in the ninth, he gave up two runs and we lost. So, you know, uh, then Sunday the 18th, um, we again lost to the Rockies, losing the series two games to one. Uh, we lost four to three. Um, once more, Javier Assad uh, pitched. Uh, this time he didn't fare so well. Uh, two innings, he gave up four runs. Jan Gomes had three hits that game, including a home run. But it was a loss to the Rockies. So uh, we had a four, four and two week. Um, and, you know, the positive I look at is that we swept the Mets. And the other positive that I look at, if you'll notice all the scores, we're not getting, we're not giving up a whole lot of runs. We're, our pitching has been really good for a team that is, I don't know, 18 games below 500 right now. Um, it's just been an offensive thing for the most part. Since the All-Star break, we have had, I think, the second or third best starting staff in, in the majors. So things are looking up. And so there is some optimism uh, here in Tivoli and in Chicago. So <laughs> I'm so, telling you, uh, no matter what the Cubs do, they always are a tough game for the Cardinals. If they're if they're down at the bottom, they always give the Cardinals a tough time. We're lucky to get two out of three against them. I think that the all-time series is is right about 500. I think so too. I, I, and I mean it fluctuates by maybe 10 games every now and then, but it's it's always really close. And that's what's great about a rivalry. Um, it, that's what's great about baseball. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And, uh, you know, like I, I, I've told people what I really love about baseball, like in football, you lose on Sunday, um, you're depressed for a week. In baseball, you can lose 100 games, but that means you've won 62 games that year. That means you've woken up happy the next day 62 times, you know. I'd rather do it 100 times, but, you know. Uh, baseball gives you a lot more breathing room for some for some victories during the season than any other sport. And that's Definitely. Sparky Anderson one time said 99% of the times every team wins 60 and loses 60. It's what you do with the other 42 that matters. Oh, yeah. And I, that's really what it comes down to, you know. It, it does. It certainly does. Hey, uh, JJ, um, I thought people could use a little introduction of how we became fans of our team. So go ahead and tell us how you became a Cardinal fan. Well, sure. I um, I was born in December of 63. What a special time for me. What a lady, what a night. That's true. I was born in December of 63. And uh, I'm from Arkansas, and I spend my summers with my grandfather and my grandmother. And my grandfather would come home from work, do a few chores, and then he'd put KMOX on. And, and at first... I was just time to spend with my grandfather, but as we listened, we just loved the Cardinals and baseball. We had Mike Shannon and Jack Buck, and from June to August, every year, I'd listen to every game with him. It was a blast. If we drove around town, you could hear the transistor radios or the cars driving by, and you could hear Buck and Shannon on the radio and the Cardinal game going on. Now, back in the 70s, we didn't have many games on TV. 
I mean, we might get two a year. There was Monday night baseball and there was Saturday game of the week. And most of the time, the Cardinals were not on those games. But every once in a while, we get a Cardinal game down there to see. But it was great because baseball is the kind of game where you can talk while the action's going on in between pitches and everything. And Buck and Shannon would tell great stories. My grandfather, a fan from all the way back in the 30s, would just tell me stories about these players. And then we'd go around town and I'd meet all these old guys. And I figured out at the age of seven how to do ERAs and batting averages. And I was just a a freak for statistics. And I would look through this sports page every day and read the box scores and just figure out the updated batting averages and everything and, and just the history of the game. So um, I, when I started playing Little League, I would meet occasionally meet someone like me. Like there'd be the novice baseball fans, but then you'd have the diehards who knew all the little things. And I'd have some kind of kinship with those kids. And as time went on, I went in the Navy and uh, I was out at sea for a whole year. My grandmother and grandfather would cut the uh, recap of the game out of the paper and send me the box scores. And every two weeks I'd get a little package in the mail and I'd read all the box scores and uh, that because back then there was no cell phones and there was no laptops I couldn't keep up with the Cardinals and then Desert Storm happened and again I had no way to any kind of media at all and my grandparents would send me the box scores and the recaps in there and uh, 76 I got to go to my first game uh, Mother's Day Sunday Cardinals Astros we lose one to nothing Bob Watson hits a home run over Luke Brock's head but it was great walking up and the bleachers and seeing all the green, uh, well, AstroTurf, I believe it was. Yeah. <laughs> the white uniforms, the red hats. And the Astros had these uh, psychedelic jerseys at the time. And I could tell you the whole lineup for each team at the time. And finally, in 96, I got to take my grandfather to his first game in the second Bush Stadium, uh, Dodgers, uh, Cardinals. Uh, we win, and we beat uh, Hideki Nomo in the game. So that was the only game he actually saw in person. So that's basically it in a nutshell, how I became such a Cardinal fan and uh, pretty much eating, sleep and breathe it. <laughs> wow. Um, it, it's kind of funny because I went to my first professional baseball game in Bush stadium, 1977 or 78. And the Cardinals were playing the Dodgers and uh <clears throat> Steve Yeager, Dodger catcher, uh, hit a grand slam that game. And I, it, it was such, a, such an incredible thing because um, um, my buddy, I went with his family, and we were sitting about 20 rows back. And sitting in front of us, of course, on the field, uh, just propped back against the, uh, the wall, and there was a little girl there by him, was Albert Bosky. So yeah, me and my yeah. buddy being, you know, like 10, 11 year old goobers, we just walk up. Hey, Mr. Roboski. <laughs> and his daughter said something to us. And we said, huh? And then he turned to us. He said, I can't talk during the game. So, oh, OK. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. But uh, the way that game ended is the Cardinals had a uh, pinch hitter named Roger Freed. Big Rog. Yeah, he was a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he went to bat pinch hitting in the bottom of the ninth and hit like a two or three run home run to win it. So I thought all live games were like that until I started going regularly. <laughs> that was just a special game. But uh, anyway, I, I kind of tell you how I became a Cub fan. Um, my, uh, my dad's family, they're all from the Peoria area. So my dad's family are huge Cub fans. Um, when I was 
83, my parents divorced and I moved to the Metro East area of St. Louis. So even though I grew up 25 minutes from Bush Stadium, I was always a Cub fan. I was a Cub fan before I was a baseball fan. Um, what I do remember is whenever I was little, we would be at my grandfather's house in Canton, Illinois, and we would be, this sounds disgusting now, we would be eating gooseberries from his gooseberry bush and wax beans, raw wax beans, listening to a Cub game. That's one of my earliest memories. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I knew I was a Cub fan. I wasn't a baseball fan. And I was about 10 years old and I turned on a baseball game. And my mom came in and she said, do you know what you're watching? I said, baseball. She said, oh, you're watching the All-Star game. This is when all the best players get together and uh, um, have a game. And the Cubs had a third baseman named Bill Madlock who won a couple of batting titles with the Cubs. And I knew I was a Cub fan. I didn't know much about baseball, but he won. He was co-MVP of that, of that all-star game with John Matlack from the Mets. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm a Cub fan. This Cub guy is the MVP of the all-star game of all the best players. He's obviously the best player in baseball. So he was very good. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of how I fell into it. And you were right. Even in St. Louis, there weren't a whole lot of games that were broadcast in the 70s. I think we got like 35 to 40 away games. No home games were ever broadcast unless it was a national broadcast. Had Monday Night Baseball, the Saturday game of the week. The Cardinals were never on there. But they would, do, they would broadcast about 35, 40 away games a year. Contrast to that, I got cable whenever I was in seventh grade. And during the baseball season, I could watch every Cub game. So being I was raised in a family of Cub fans and the Cardinals were down in the 70s and there wasn't a whole lot of exposure, um, it was pretty easy for me to gravitate towards the Cubs. So that's how I became a Cub fan living in St. Louis. I didn't do it just to be a rebel or anything else because there's other things I would much rather do like for a team that doesn't get made fun of all the time. But that's my, that's my uh, kind of uh, adventure on how I became a Chicago Cub fan. And uh, now through the magic of um, MLB.tv, I, I can still watch them whenever I want. So, Oh yeah. It's a good time to be a baseball fan. It, it really <laughs> is. It really is. So we're gonna we're gonna do a segment now that we are uh, gonna spotlight a couple of the teams from yesteryear, and uh, JJ's gonna start. And he's gonna do a little spotlight on the 1982 Cardinals. Oh yeah, you hear that music? Oh yeah, it's 1982. Even the most novice Cardinal fan, woohoo! Cool the game. Oh yeah, 1982. I hear that song and I, I want to start putting, getting my Jerry curls ready for, for action. <laughs> 1982. I'm going to go back before 1982 though. In the 70s, the Cardinals, great players, mediocre teams. We're always in the middle of the pack. It's a different time. There was two divisions. Now there's three. Only two teams made the playoffs. The top team from each division. Now six of the 15 teams make it. Back then there was 12 teams and only two made it. And the Cardinals were in the East. We were in the division with the Pirates and the Phillies. 
And in the seventies, we could, if we played them 18 times, we were lucky if we beat them five. <clears throat> then we had the Cubs and the Cardinals, of course, and the Expos and the Mets. And it was rough. It was, it was basically a two team race every year. Uh, we went through three managers in the eighties, in the seventies. And that was red Shandings, pretty much 60% of the decade. Then we had a guy named Vern Rapp that didn't go so well. He made uh, Rabowski shave his mustache. Everybody cut their hair. They weren't very good at all. <clears throat> and then we ended with Kenny Boyer and we just didn't play very well. Well, on the other side of the state, there was a guy named Whitey Herzog and he came up in 75 and he managed the Royals and they weren't that good either. But once Whitey got there, he incorporated a style of ball called Whitey ball. And it was based on speed, defense, and good pitching. Now he took them to the American League Championship, the Royals, a team that was kind of, you know, would get beat all the time, uh, two years in a row, uh, 77, 78, and they just lost to the Yankees. Um, the Yankees were just stacked. <clears throat> so in 79, they didn't make the playoffs, and Whitey badmouthed the organization for not spending any money, and they fire him. So now he's available. In 1980, June of 1980, everything changed. They hired Whitey Herzog. And I'm going to show this. I got a lot of memorabilia, but I'm going to show a little bit at a time. This is the media guide from uh, 1982. And a media guide is basically, you know, the reporters, the guys on the radio, you go, how do they know all that stuff? Well, it comes out of the media guide. This has every bit of information about every team. The 1982 one had Whitey, a picture of Whitey down here on a phone and him on the field. And it's, I got it autographed. Hey, hey. But um, basically, Whitey came in and took over. He was the general manager and the manager. So 1980 ends, winter comes, and he, he just goes crazy. He's making trades with the Padres. We, we had a surplus of outfielders and pitchers. We sent a ton of guys over to San Diego. And we ended up getting Raleigh Fingers and Gene Tennis and Steve Mura. So we had Raleigh Fingers. Then we trade with the Cubs, which I can't believe. Bruce Suter who was shut down. I can't believe Bruce Suter came to the Cardinals. I don't know what they did. They got the Cub executives drunk, but we sent Kenny Reitz, who I did like, the Zamboni machine, Kenny Reitz. But, you know, Bruce Suter, come on. <laughs> Bye, Reitz. We sent Kenny Reitz, uh, Leon Durham, and Ty Waller, who I don't think ever saw the pros. He did but a little bit. He played he did a little, little bit. Cubs, okay. Yeah. All right. But we got Bruce Suter. Now the bullpen's set up. We trade, um, let's see, let me get my notes out here. We made a trade uh, to the Brewers that year, and we traded, um, we took fang uh, Fingers, who was only on the team for like six days. We had Fingers yeah. and Suter in the bullpen for about a week. We trade Fingers up there. Ted Simmons, maybe as a kid, my favorite player, uh, as a little kid, um, up there, he wouldn't go to first base. That was the deal. He was going to move to first because uh, we were bringing Daryl Porter over from the Royals. So he wouldn't move to first base. So we sent him, Raleigh Fingers, and uh, Pete Bukovic, maybe our ace of our staff, up there for five, for four players. It was Larry Sorensen, uh, Dave LaPointe, two pitchers that went into the rotation. David Green, who was supposed to be this phenom athlete who could play center field for the Cardinals. And um, I have to look on the other one. There was one more guy. Six, though. Sixto Lescano, the outfielder. Yeah, Sixto Lescano. So we've made all these trades, and we go into 1981, and we actually had the best record, but there was a work shortage. And they had a strange rule that year where they split the season in half. The top, the top team in the first half of the season would make the playoffs, and the top team in the second half. Well, the Cardinals overall had the best record, but it was uh, – let me think about that for a second. I think it was the Expos in one half. 
and yes. the Phillies in the other half, I believe it was. Yes. So we missed out. And the Reds, the same thing in the other division. The Reds had the best record, but they didn't make the playoffs either. So we were all bummed out about that. But over the winter, Whitey makes two main trades that changed the history of what was going to happen in 82. The Yankees were in a pennant drive and they needed a left-handed guy in the bullpen. And we had a guy named Bob Sykes, nice guy, solid player, but we traded him for this young guy down in the minors who nobody, we didn't know much about named Willie McGee. Well, now of course we know everything about Willie McGee. And uh, so we had David Green, Willie McGee, who was going to play center <laughs> for us. And then um, uh, we had a shortstop. The guy could hit. And the guy can make plays, but he was just a little inconsistent. And him and Whitey had a few brouhaha's. I won't get into it too much. But the guy was named Gary Templeton. Gary Templeton was great. A 300 hitter, could field, a top-notch player. And we traded him to San Diego for this guy who was about in his fifth year, Ozzie Smith. I'll be honest with you, and I'm wrong as much as I am right. I was disappointed. I was like, Gary Templeton, Ozzie Smith's a 210 hitter. Well, it didn't take long to... Whitey knows what he's doing. Just go with what Whitey wants to do. Uh, and, you know, Willie, uh, Ozzie was only like, yeah, like I said, 210 hitter, but he could steal bases. Gary stole some, but not as good as Ozzie. So now going into the 82 season, uh, every average Cardinal fan can tell you that that roster. We had Porter catching Keith Hernandez at first base, who I think is one of the top two first base, defensive first basemen's ever to play the game. Tommy Herr, a guy, uh, Hernandez was 79 uh, MVP, by the way. Tommy Herr at second, a great defensive player, a solid player. The Wizard, he made every second baseman look better. Kenny uh, Oberkfeld at third, and the outfield was Silent George. We had great nicknames on that 82 team, too. Silent George and the Wizard. And uh, and then we had, uh, in the outfield, you had David Green and, and Willie McGee, but Willie won, won that position outright. And then in left field, we traded and got Lonnie Smith. And Lonnie Smith was on his skates. And that guy could steal some bases. And the Cardinals just came out and was a run and gun. Um, it was AstroTurf. So it was kind of a different game. It was a real fast game. And the game was different in the, in the 80s. Uh, second base, you could take out the second baseman. You could destroy him. So Ozzie Smith, they couldn't catch. He'd either jump over here or go to the right, go to the left. Sometimes he'd throw the ball behind his back to her. And they they – a great double play combination and Hernandez could dig anything out of the ground at first base. Like I said, they run, they just cause total chaos. Um, I actually saw a play later where the Cardinals are playing whitey ball. Again, that's defense speed and pitching. The Cardinals didn't have like knockout pitching and our pitching staff was uh, Bob Forsh, who's been there forever. One of the all-time Cardinal greats was an outfielder. They made him a pitcher and uh, a guy named Joaquin Andujar, uh, a, a very unusual cat. Um, he's His nickname was One Tough Dominican. And he'd say crazy things. And oh, he was just a wild man on the field. And of course, uh, LaPointe, uh, Sorensen, and Mura were the pitchers that year. And then a guy came up, uh, John Stuper, who did a very good job for him too. And then the bullpen, you had Bruce Suter, Jeff Lottie came up then, and we had Hall of Famer Jim Cott. At the end of his career, he was a left-handed specialist, and that was his job, to get the left-handed bats out. And I remember in April that year, we went on a 12-game winning streak and never looked back. It, oh, it was so great. It was so much fun. Two gold glovers on that team, and I still think that was the best defensive team. And I've been a fan since pretty solid since 74, and that was the best defensive team I've ever seen them have. And this team now has 
Well, we had five gold glovers and traded one of them. So we got four gold glovers, but uh, I think that was the best defensive team and the bullpen, you know, people talk about Helsley and he's, He's top-notch, throws hard, looks great, almost looks unhittable at times. But Bruce Suter would come in with a split-fingered fastball. You couldn't hit it. His fastball was nothing special, but the split finger would come in and just fall off a table, and nobody could hit it. And Bruce would come in sometimes in the seventh inning. They called him Engine 42 because you just called him out, and the game was pretty much over. And uh, I believe he had 42, 37 saves that year. Well, anyway, the Cardinals win the division. We go to the playoffs. And we were against the Atlanta Braves. And I got to go to game one. Atlanta Braves, they were, uh, their, their big stars were Bob Horner and Dale Murphy. I like Glenn, Glenn Hubbard was a really good player on that team. Good team, but we swept them three to nothing. And he had Phil Necro, the knuckleballer. Very tough to hit him, but we swept them three to nothing, making it to the World Series. And this is a replica ticket right there of the 82 World Series. I was a junior in high school. I didn't tell my family. I hitchhiked to Bush Stadium with just enough money for two bleacher seats. I uh, camped out. I got interviewed by Herb Humphreys from Channel 4 News. I was, thir- <laughs> I was a 13th in line. Uh, and uh, some people who lived in Hillsborough gave me, I went to Hillsborough, I graduated from Hillsborough, gave me a ride back. And a friend of mine, Bobby Prince, whose dad was a cameraman for Channel 4 News, I gave him the ticket so I could go up, ride with him and go over to the ball game and of course the cardinals game one would get blown out 10 to nothing i camped out no money for soda or water or food or nothing i just stayed out there for four days and got the tickets and seen them give it 10 to nothing and you know what one of the greatest times of my life um so anyway they lose 10 to nothing uh we go to game three we're down and that game it's in milwaukee willie mcgee becomes a legend willie hits two home runs and robs a home run by jumping as the ball's going over the fence and bringing it back. Now, Willie goes on, and he adds to his credentials, but that 82 game three, Willie McGee became a legend in St. Louis forever. Let me uh, let me interrupt real quick. With sure, you. please do. I, it's a Friday night, and I'm a junior in high school, and uh, I'm playing a high school football game in Jerseyville, Illinois. And we got crushed um, and uh, I, I played defensive end my junior year. And I remember being on the field and the announcer saying, you know, first down Jerseyville or whatever. And Willie McGee has hit a home run. The Cardinals are up, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I don't know, 30 minutes later says, and Willie McGee has hit a second home run, blah, blah, blah. So, so it was kind of like I didn't see the game and, you know, there was no way to record it back then. Uh, but it was kind of cool, you know, being in a, in, a, in a football game that we were, you know, completely outclassed and getting our butts kicked, you know. At least, you know, this baseball nut who was pretending to be a football player got to, got to kind of experience that game in a different way. But anyway, go ahead. Well, no, I remember that because it was a Friday night and I – was with Hillsboro Hawks and we were down here playing Potosi Trojans and I'd come, we'd come off the field and I'd listen to the radio and everybody go, JJ, what's the score? What's the score? <laughs> and, you know, I kept them up to date all the way back home on the bus. And, oh, it, I remember in school, we did have a girl, Karen Hasner, if you're out there, Karen, I love you. She wore her little brewer batting helmet to school every day and we would give her love, but, you know, come on, it's Cardinal Nation, baby. And the Cardinals end up winning that. 
And one of the most iconic moments, you know, I collect everything. I, I got a problem. My wife knows I got a problem. Is the uh, famous Bruce Souter throwing to Porter, striking out Gorman Thomas, game seven. We win. And the thing about it was, as a kid, I didn't think the World Series was possible. That was for the Phillies and the Pirates and the Dodgers and the Reds and the Yankees. I didn't think it was for the Cardinals. And when Whitey came, we started to believe, like, you know what? We, we're just as good. Plus, all those players in the 70s were getting older, and the Cardinals had built this fast team, and it was just electrifying. And one of the funnest times, that Whitey ball era from 80 to 89. You know, that was a great time in Cardinal baseball. Capped off with that. We had two more World Series appearances, but that 82 championship, oh, I, you know, people still talk about that to this day. And I got a lot of stuff around the house and people come and talk and tell me their memories. So anyway, cool the gang, 82, Whitey Herzog. It doesn't get no better than that. Well, surprise, <laughs> surprise, I am not going to talk about the 2016 Chicago Cubs on our inaugural uh, uh, podcast slash uh, YouTube channel uh, program. I'm going to talk about the 1985 Chicago Cubs. If, for those of you who don't know, and those of you who may remember, 1984, the Cubs won the division and went to the postseason for the first time since 1945. And we had a great team. Um, we had uh, a lot of older players, but they were very good older players. Uh, we had Jody Davis catching that we got from the Cardinals. First base, Leon Durham, we also got from the Cardinals. Uh, second base, we had this uh, little guy that we got from Philadelphia a few years. I think he had a pretty decent career named Sandberg. Oh, yeah. At shortstop, we had an aging Larry Boa who couldn't hit his weight. And at third base, we had an aging Ron Say. But they all had good years offensively. In the outfield, we had Keith Moreland and Wright who uh, was first year as being a full-time player after coming over from the Phillies, and uh, he had a great year. Um, center field, we made a trade, and at the beginning of the uh, year, at the end of spring training, we got Bob Dernier from the Phillies, who was a great defensive uh, outfielder uh, with, the, with the high school at Raytown South in Kansas City. He could steal some bags. And then on left field, we brought over a, another Philly in the same trade, Gary Matthews and Gary Matthews was certainly not statistically what he was when he was an all-star, but he was a leader on the field. But what made that team was pitching. Rick Sutcliffe came over from Cleveland and went 16 and one to win the Cy Young. Uh, we had Scott Sanderson. We had Dennis Eckersley come over during that season and Dennis pitched really good. And we had a guy that we brought over from the White Sox named Steve Trout, who was uh, um, a really good pitcher. So we had four stud pitchers. Um, <clears throat> Sutcliffe was 16 and one, 2.69 ERA, won the uh, Cy Young Award. Uh, Sanderson was eight and five, but a 3.14 ERA. Eckersley, uh, he was uh, 10 and eight with a 3.03 ERA, and Steve Trout. 13-7 with a 3.41 ERA. So we had great starting pitching, and we had a really good bullpen. And at the end of the bullpen, we had Big Lee Smith, who went on to become a Cardinal, who could just slam the door. So we lost the 84 playoffs to the Padres, <clears throat> but I that that's okay. 
um, it broke my heart, but I thought we've got a really good team in 1985. And we did have a really good team in 1985. On June 11th of 1985, we had a record of 35 and 19, and we were in first place. We had a four-game lead over the Mets for the division. However, June 11th was the high watermark of the, of the season. Sutcliffe, Trout, Sanderson, and Eckersley all wound up on the disabled list at the same time. Oh. So 80% of our starting pitching, which was the big four, on the disabled list at the same time. And we lost 12 in a row, and we just could not recover. And we just, I think we won maybe 75 games, which was a heartbreaker. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, what happened in 85, aside from the uh, uh, pitching going down, when they were healthy, they were good. Sutcliffe, ERA of 3.18, Sanderson, 3.12, Trout, 3.39, Eckersley, 3.08. So when they were in there, they were good. It's just that we could not keep them healthy and on the field. But the hitting went south. Uh, Jody Davis lost power. He only hit 17 home runs, and his average dropped into the 230s. Durham had a decent year. He had 282 with 21 home runs. Sandberg had another great year coming off the MVP of 84 and 85. He had 305, 26 home runs, 83 RBIs. And what really gave me optimism that the offense was going to be better was that we were replacing Larry Boa, who couldn't hit his weight and whose range was diminishing, with Sean Dunstan. And if you remember Sean Dunstan, he probably had the best arm anybody's ever seen in baseball. I agree. I agree. Right fielders, anything. So Dunstan came up and he, he's going to hit better than Boa and he's going to feel better than Boa. And Dunstan just could not get it going his rookie year. He did end up with 250 at bats. He had 260, uh, four home runs, 18 RBIs. But he just didn't pick up the slack enough for Boa. Say's average dropped to 232. Gary Matthews, he just fell off the table, only drove in four uh, 40 runs. Dernier fell off the table. Moreland had a good year, but our offense, which was pretty good in, in 84, just completely fell off the table in 85. That was the most disappointing season, aside from losing in, in, in 84, and aside from losing the uh, the the Bartman game in 03. Even the 89 Cubs and the 98 Cubs that went to the playoffs, they did not break my heart like this 85 team because, dadgummit, we were good. We should have won this division. We were the best team in the division when healthy. And then guess who snuck up and won the division and went to the World Series? Those dreaded St. Louis Cardinals. So I was in college. Insult to injury. I had to hear about it all the time. So, so that's the two teams we were spotlighting today. And uh, with all that heartbreak, the Cubs, it's almost like an opera. There's just so much heartbreak. But how good did it finally feel when you finally won it all? Through all that troubled and bad times, you finally won it. It, it just probably was just emotional finally winning it. Not to give up too much information because I will do a spotlight on the 2016 team. Um, when we got the last out, when 
uh, in 2016 when, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chris Bryant threw the ball and slipped a little bit. And somehow he didn't throw it away and we won. I ran outside about 12.15 in the morning. Nobody else in, in Peavely, Missouri is watching the Cubs win the World <laughs> Series. They're all pissed off in, in bed. And I scream the most, <laughs> yeah, all those frustrations finally, finally escaping through my lungs. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful time. But we'll, we'll, we'll visit that some All other right, time. sounds good. You're going to spotlight your all-time favorite player who you never saw play. Let's hear about it. All right, my all-time favorite Cardinal. My all-time favorite player is actually Ted Williams. Okay. I, love, I love Ted Williams, but my all-time favorite Cardinal is Enos Slaughter. And Enos Slaughter was number nine in here saying, well, do you have any, you have any uh, special effects for it? I have a copy of the left field wall. That's right, Vince. I have the left field wall right here. And Enos is number nine. And he's resting right here between retired number six, Stan Musial, and number 10, Tony La Russa. So that's Enos Slaughter. He's in the actual Hall of Fame. Uh, Enos Slaughter, his nickname was Country. Uh, he played, he, the reason I love this guy so much is he played with this insane intensity. He played like a man possessed by the devil himself. He was the first guy that I know of when he would walk, he would fling his bat down and sprint to first base. He sprinted on the field. He sprinted off the field. And I think <clears throat> Enos is the guy who kind of said in St. Louis, and this is just my take on it. People make mistakes. People make errors. People have bad stretches. But if you hustle, even the other team, if you hustle, the Cardinal fans will love you forever. If you give your all, and that's what Enos Slaughter basically was. He's a guy who just gave his all. He would dive. He would slide into the bag. He'd get in fights with the other team. Uh, he loved the Cardinals. He loved being a Cardinal and giving everything he got. Uh, Pete, the story, one of the stories about Enos was, he, uh, Pete Rose's father loved Enos Slaughter. And that's how he taught Pete as a kid to play ball, uh -huh. like all out. Because I've only ever seen two other players when they walk, they sprint to first. And one was Pete Rose and the other one was David Eckstein. David Eckstein would throw that back down and run fast as he could to first base. He gave his all. And I appreciate it. I don't know how you feel about Pete, but that guy played all out. Even in the all-star game, as Ray Fossey knows, he played all out. Well, Enos played uh, for the Cardinals. He played 19 seasons total, and he was a 10-time All-Star. And um, he uh, played 1938 to 1942 with the Cardinals, but then he lost three years to World War II. And it was the, and it was the age of 27, 28, and 29. And I don't know how you feel, Vince, but I think the prime, your prime years are 27 to 32. And he just missed three years, his first his prime years there's exceptions to the rules i mean there's guys that come out of the gate who's 19 years old who light the world on fire but they're few and far between and then you got the barry bonds who are 42 and hitting 72 home runs you got those guys too but for the most part your best years your prime years 70 you know are 27 to 32 and and enos missed those uh three years um he had uh 2383 hits and, you know, all the fans like to extrapolate, well, you know, if he got 160 hits a year, he'd have this many. You just never know. He could have been hurt. I mean, who knows? Yeah. He did end up with uh, 2,383 hits, 169 home runs, 
and home runs wasn't uh i mean there was a few uh you know guys that blast home runs i don't know if it was easier or harder hitting home runs hard anyway but back in the back in the years from um let's see i've got it written down here and i'm having trouble reading my own handwriting but he played like i said from 38 to 53 and in those days it was not uncommon for pitchers to knock you off the plate they'd hit you they they they'd bean you with the ball plus uh I don't. Plus, they used a lot of substance on the ball back then too. There was a lot of uh, spit balls and things like that thrown. So, who knows? And the fields, I think, generally were a little bit bigger as well. Um, he also had one thousand three hundred four RBIs. Now he comes back and he plays um, from forty six to fifty three with the Cardinals, and then he gets traded to the Yankees. And uh, he is a. Uh, He's a four-time World Series champion, and he won, he won two World Series with the Cardinals. Now, while he was gone, the Cardinals won, went to two more World Series and won one and lost one, but Enos wasn't a part of those teams. But he'll f- forever – I got a few pieces. I got seven pieces signed by Enos, and I have a few of them. I have, I have a few – two of them with me right now that I'll show if that's okay. But sure. Enos Slaughter, I met him in junior high at a baseball card show, and he was an old man at that point, and he was such a nice guy. I just love the guy. And in 1946, we're playing the Boston Red Sox. We're in the bottom of the eighth in St. Louis play, and it's the game is on the line, and Enos is on first base. And Harry Walker hits a ball to center field. Center fielder gets it. Enos is on his way to third, of course, because he runs like a crazy man. They throw it into Petsky, the famous Petsky pole from the Red Sox history, the foul pole, throws it in. They're telling him to slow down. He takes off. He keeps running like a crazy man. Petsky turns, can't believe he's going. He double pumps and doesn't throw as, as much conviction as he probably normally would. And Enos hook slides, and it's called the Mad Dash. And I'm kind of kind of show you that. And Enos signed it. It says Enos Slaughter, 1946 World Series. And that's one of the most iconic moments in Cardinal history. I absolutely love that. And with and I'm going to make a I'm going to make a plea to the San Luis Cardinals. They have all these bobbleheads every year, and that's great. And you're you're celebrating the players, but there's no Enos Slaughter bobblehead. And as president of the Enos Slaughter fan club, you need the Mad Dash, the 1946 Mad Dash Enos Slaughter. That would be great. I also have a plaque here that's not signed but it's got all his statistics on it when he played with the Yankees. He went on to a couple of World Series with the Yankees, two wins and one loss in World Series with the Yankees. And Casey Stingle, one of the all-time greatest managers, said he'd never seen a player that wanted to win as bad as Enos Slaughter. And I just think it shined through when he played the game. And I have some statistics here, and there's one statistic that's going to blow your mind. When you see all these players today and their statistics, and a lot of them have some great statistics, this is one I don't think you see from any other player. Enos Slaughter, in his career, in this 19-year career, he walked 1,018 times. Okay, that's solid for a guy who's played that many years. 1,018 walks. He struck out 538. He only struck in 19 seasons 538 times and walked twice as many times as he strikes out. You'll never see that. There's nobody in the game today that does that. Now, there's other players that have other parts of the game. Okay, uh, you know, but Enos Slaughter, as far as intensity, fouling balls off. He didn't take him a bat off, and he battled, battled, battled. He's an outfielder, right fielder, and he just played with that intensity that I absolutely love. And on some of the all-time Cardinal list, he's number six in at-bats. 
And when you get to number six in Cardinal history, and not to be disrespectful to any other team, but you're up there with the guys with one name, and you know who they're talking about. The only guys who have more bats than Enos in a Cardinal uniform are Stan, Lou, Yachty, Ozzy, and Red. So he's up there in high company. He's number five in total bases, number seven in doubles, four in walks. And, he, you know, I didn't get to play his whole career with the Cardinals either. Uh, five in runs, and he was number three in triples. And they said the only time they ever seen him cry was when he got traded to the Yankees from the Cardinals. So that's Enos Slaughter. I absolutely love the guy. Here's a few little other things I'm going to show you before I we move on to Vince's player. But back in the 40s, this is from 42, when you would send a, a fan letter in, they would send you a postcard. And that's a postcard with Enos Slaughter on it. And it's just a form letter here that says, basically, thank you for supporting our team and loving the Cardinals. We hope you could for your continued support. And it's signed Enos Slaughter. Now, I didn't see this one signed. Usually in those days, they had clubhouse kids. They'd flip them some bucks and they'd sign all the stuff. But he actually wrote something back on the back. You don't see that very often. So anyway, yeah. I have that piece and I do like that. And then I have a 1954 Redmond chewing tobacco card. These cards used to come in the uh, packs of tobacco. And that's a 1954 Enos Slaughter uh, tobacco card, uh, Redmond. I don't know. I'm kind of proud of that. I thought I'd show it off. But anyway, that's my player. I'm spotlighting Enos Slaughter. And I hope you learned a lot about him because he was just a tough, great guy. Loved to play baseball, loved to fight, and he loved to win. And the Cardinals, I think that's our best era of baseball there, too, the 40s, because we went to four World Series in that decade and won three of them. Yeah. Anyway, that's my two cents. <clears throat> well, be before I uh, spotlight my player, I just want to let you know that uh, Patrick Wisdom just went deep for his 23rd. The Cubs are down 3-1 to one to the Marlins in the seventh inning. Ex-Cardinals. At least we're not going to get shut out today. So. <clears throat> I am going to highlight a former Cub who was actually from St. Louis. Uh, Kenny Holtzman was born in St. Louis. He graduated from University City High School in 1963. And Holtzman, who was Jewish, still is. Uh, I guess you don't lose that, uh, even though he's an older man. And uh, <clears throat> his 174 career victories are the most in the major leagues by a Jewish pitcher even ahead of Sandy Koufax. So um, he's kind of an overlooked guy, but um, he came to the Cubs. He came up in 65 and, and pitched a little bit, but 66 was his rookie campaign where uh, he had an 11 and 16 record for a team that finished in last place. So to win double digits as a rookie uh, for a last place team, that's, that's pretty good. And, but what really has always captivated me about Holtzman was his 1967 season. He was with the National Guard, which meant he could only pitch on the weekends. So during the week, he would be doing his duty. And then he would go to Chicago and pitch one game during the weekend. Pitching is, 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 is a... You have to be a creature of habit to be a starting pitcher. Everything is very regimented. What you do, those four days of rest leading up to your start, you, you do long toss one day, you do something else another day, and you kind of ramp yourself up to where you're ready to pitch again. You, it's, it's a combination of you've got four days off, you're going to rest, 
and then you got to prepare for the next start. So you rest and ramp up. Um, he really didn't have a chance to do that in 67. He only pitched 12 games. In 12 games for a team that was up and coming in 67, but wasn't a great team yet, he went 9-0, and which just completely floors me that he can have his attention divided by something as important as being in the National Guard and baseball. And baseball for him at this time was just, that was the part-time job, and he excelled at it. 9-0 and in 12 games, so he pitched great. In uh, 68, he was 11-14, and and uh, <clears throat> then he posted consecutive 17-win seasons for the Cubs. 69, we'll highlight the 69 Cub team that, you know, the team that, that the first, one of the first Cub teams that blew it. Um, in, in 69, he no-hit the Braves, and what was really amazing about his no-hitter against the Braves is they were a first-place team. Uh, they went to the playoffs that year. Uh, they had Aaron. Um, they had some, some great hitters. And he no-hit them. Three walks, no strikeouts. That's how much the game has changed. Yes. I mean, um, if you have a guy who strikes out maybe seven for every nine innings, that's really not considered a strikeout pitcher. At that time, that was a dominant strikeout pitcher. So he wasn't much of a strikeout pitcher, but he could pitch. He pitched a second no-hitter for the Cubs in June 3rd of 1971 against the Big Red Machine, Cincinnati with Pete Rose, uh, Tony Perez, Johnny Bench, a great team that he also no-hit. After the 71 season, he was dealt to the Oakland A's for Rick Monday. Rick Monday had a solid career with the Cubs and went on with the Dodgers, won a World Series with the Dodgers. Um, so it, it was a pretty even trade at the time because Monday was looked at as a highly touted prospect. Well, if you know much about the Oakland A's at the beginning of the 70s, from 1972 to 1974, they won three straight World Series championships. And Holtzman was the third starter behind Catfish Hunter and Vita Blue. So you're talking about three at the top of the lineup, Catfish Hunter Hall of Famer, Vita Blue should have been a Hall of Famer, got himself a little messed up. And then you had Holtzman in there. They were such an excellent team. And they had Reggie Jackson, Sal Bando, um, Herb Cabernaris, oh, yeah. Billy North sat the bench on that team. I mean, this Gene Sal Kenneth. Bando. Oh, yeah, they, they were so good. Uh, but he was the third starter on that staff. And they won three straight World Series in 72 and 73. He was an all-star for the A's. And in 73, he went 21 and 13 with a 2.97 ERA for the A's. He had 40 starts. To put that in perspective, if you have 32 starts, you're probably going to be 32, 33. You're going to lead the league in today's day and age. But at that time, when you had a lot of staffs that were doing a four-man rotation, you had players who would make 40 starts, and he was certainly one of them. In uh, 1976, um, he, along with Reggie Jackson, were traded from the A's to the Baltimore Orioles. And then uh, come June of 76, he was traded to the Yankees. And he was kind of faded into a little bit of obscurity. What really caught my attention, what brought my attention to him is in June of 1978, he was traded back to the Cubs where he finished his career in 78 and 79. June 12, 1978, I'm watching Monday Night Baseball and the Cubs are playing the Reds. And 
they bring in Kenny Holtzman from the bullpen. And I think he pitched three innings, gave up a couple of runs, but he, he held the Reds down just enough for the Cubs to get the victory. So I, that's when I kind of dug into him. And that's when I realized he had this amazing 1967 season. And the reason he's my player I want to spotlight is because nobody ever talks about that amazing season. And I think it's one of the greatest things that ever happened in baseball. One of the most amazing things that happened in baseball for a person using baseball, professional baseball as a part-time job to have a perfect record is just amazing. I did not know that. That's very cool. Thanks, Vince. And and a lot of people don't know that he is from St. Louis. So um, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up the show doing what kids do. We're going to open up baseball cards. What do you open it, JJ? I'm going to do uh, the 2022 Heritage Baseball cards. Uh, It's got Devers and Bogarts on the front. So these are brand new cards. There's so many companies that put out these cards, but they're Heritage cards because they got them looking. I believe these are the, it looks like the 1973 cards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, or maybe that's 74. Maybe that was 74. 73, 74 tops. Yeah, the 74, yeah. Uh, the tops. And um, some of these guys, they've got a little silhouette and you have the position you play. So the uh, the pitcher would be like in mid throw and then the shortstop would have his hands on his uh, knees and everything. And uh, some of the highlights here. Oh, I like this. They have the, the 2021 Victory Leaders. Remember those cards where they put the, oh, the yeah. Victory Leaders on there? And it's uh, Garrett Cole, the Yankee uh, pitcher, and uh, I'm terrible with names, Julio Urias from the Dodgers. Urias, yeah. Yeah, Urias. And that, that's pretty cool. I like that old-style look because those are the classic cards. I got uh, – let's see who we got here. I've got uh, Walker Bueller. Hey, he's hurt for the year. That's a very nice card to have. A young pitcher. Another one of the – I know, Vince. Where does these Dodgers get these pitchers from? They just keep – Urias, Walker, Kershaw, that Derek May kid with the peppy longstock in here. A.J. (laughs) Pollock. You know what? He's an underrated player. Yeah. A.J. Pollock, a very good player. I like that. The old classic bat on the shoulder pose right there. Um, D.J. LeMayu. Right there, a Yankee. Let's see. What no, he, former Cub who we traded to the Colorado for Ian Stewart. LeMahieu goes on to win batting championships yeah. and, and have, have a great career. And Ian Stewart, I don't even think, made it through the season. <laughs> AJ, you put me in a bad mood now. I'm sorry. Well, it's the damn Tops Heritage cards. Um, Oh, I like this. They have Atlanta wins the World Series. And, of course, the player spotlighted on it is Freddie Freeman. Can you believe the Braves let Freddie Freeman go? And he ends up firing his agent because I don't think he knew the final offer. Freddie Freeman, it's not fair to give him to the Dodgers, first off. The best team in baseball, they get Freddie Freeman. And uh, he should have stayed a lifetime Dodger. Or uh, a Brave. Brave, yeah. Yeah, Brave. Oh, I'm so this was worth the pack alone. Adam Wainwright. <laughs> right there, Adam Wainwright, who we got from the Atlanta Braves. And uh, hey, one of the all-time greats right there. Number two all-time strikeouts in Cardinal history, only to Bob Gibson. Oh, and there's only two Cardinals with over 2,000 strikeouts, and Adam Wainwright's one of them. 
Uh, Ozzy Alvarez, the second baseman from Atlanta. There you go. Very good player. Uh, oh, John Lester. They have him as a Cardinal, but that's an old Cub player right there. Not trying to rub it in. And the John Lester we got was not the John Lester you guys had. Uh, we, we, we got the best of John Lester. You did. And for the life of me, the thing about John Lester, he had no pickoff play to first base, and he had a long, very good career, but no pickoff play to first he base. He picked off Tommy Pham. <laughs> all right. All right. I stand corrected. I stand corrected. And um, you know what? And I like this. Uh, it's a rookie, and it's the all-star rookie team, and they have that little uh, little trophy on there for the all-stars. And yeah. it's one of the few Cincinnati Reds that they haven't traded off. I can't believe they traded their whole team. But Jonathan India, their yeah. second baseman, who I think is a very solid, very good player. And I wish him all the best. Except Rookie the of the year last year? Yeah. Oh, wait, he was rookie of the year last year? Yes, he was. Okay, I did not know. I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that. So that is the 2022 Heritage Tops cards. Uh, pretty nice ones. I got lucky there with the Wainwright. Okay, I'm, I'm going old school. I have 1988 Tops oh. baseball cards. Not open package. And I'll tell you how old school this is. <laughs> it has the original gum from 1988. And it's unbroken. I am not going to put this in my <laughs> mouth. Don't let the cat or dog eat it. It, won't, it might be toxic. So let's see who I have. I have a uh, Roger Craig, manager of the Giants. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. The uh, innovator of the split finger fastball. Taught it to Bruce Souter. Uh, Rod Booker. Oh, forgotten yes. Cardinal. Yeah, he had a brief cup of coffee. He also got a baseball card. Yeah. He's a good hitter for the White Sox, Mr. Greg Walker. Yes. Pretty good hitter. Oh, I have another Cardinal, former Cardinal Tony Pena. Love Tony Pena. He'd throw you out from his knees. He oh, yeah. That, he that, had a gun. A good pirate, too. He played, started out with the Pirates. Former Cub, who we got. From the Cardinals, who never played for the Cardinals, but Pat Tabler, oh, uh, nice. uh, he, he he was known for hitting with the bases loaded. For some reason, he had a knack for that. Uh, Cardinal pitcher Bill Dolly. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Ed Correa from the Rangers. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> Greg Gagne from the Twins. Played oh, second yeah, yeah. base uh, for the Twins when they won their uh, World Series in 87. Against the Cardinals. Against the Cardinals. Uh, Jerry Brown, uh, who went on to become the governor of California. <laughs> and he dated Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, former brave Gerald Perry. Oh, yeah. He played for the Cardinals briefly, too. He played for the Cardinals, yes. Oh, I'm going to. Former Cardinal Chuck Finley. Chuck Finley. Uh, Tawny Catans. Yeah. Uh, Beat, beat him the up. crap out of him, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack Howell from the Angels. Who cares? Uh, Tony LaRusso, the manager of the Athletics. Hey, Tony. There you go. Sid Bream from the Sid from Breen. the uh, Pirates. The famous play at the plate. Yeah. For the Braves. That throw when uh, Andy Van Slyke told uh, Barry Bonds <laughs> to move in. Barry Bonds flipped him off. Yep. 
and he's playing too deep, couldn't throw him out. Sid Bream, who could not run at all. No. But him and, Yachty, him and Yachty would have a it'd be nip and tuck down the stretch. The 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 best card in the pack. I saved this for the last oh. as soon as I saw it. The pride and joy of Nicaragua, Dennis Martinez. El Presidente. Who pitched a perfect game for the expo. So anyway, that's our cards. That's our inaugural show. If you are watching us on the YouTube channel, you got all the glory of our beautiful faces and you can see everything. <laughs> if you are listening to us as a podcast, use your imagination. Yes. JJ looks just like Will Smith and I look just like Andre the Giant. So that's what you can, uh, that's what you can uh, picture. In yes. your mind. It would stopped all the time. That's right. Well, we'll be back next week with one Cardinal, one cup and one, and one beer. beer. Thank you. All right. Have a good night.